beginning a three-week series, actually, that will focus on three different resurrection appearances of Jesus. And uh, next week, we're going to talk about what happens when Jesus steps in to our doubts. And the week after, when Jesus steps in to our failures. But today, we want to talk about what happens when Jesus steps into our fears, to our fears. And we have a time of terrible fear. It is Resurrection Day, but that was not necessarily the best news yet for Jesus' followers. They were confused as to what had happened. Some people had seen Jesus alive. There were rumors everywhere, but you kill the head guy, and then the religious elite were going to come after his followers. So here we are. It's Sunday evening of Resurrection Day. Jesus rose from the dead that morning. And they, verse 19, John tells us in John 20, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear, not surprising, they were behind locked doors. They were afraid because probably the religious leaders were after them. And in that moment, can you imagine this moment? In that moment, Jesus came and stood among them and said the last thing they were feeling, peace, peace be with you. So these are the two governing words of this moment, fear and peace. And they are the two things that are at war with each other in every one of our hearts. Recently, just this past week, I heard a social commentator say that probably never has there been more fear in our culture in America than right now. We get the word fear. And fear is understandable uh, because, you know, the unknowables are, are what haunt us in our lives. You know, it's the classic fear of the unknown. Remember when you were a kid on, and, and you were terrified about what was in the dark under your bed. <laughs> and we, what we don't know. We tend to fill the blanks in of what we don't know with the things that haunt us most, not with the most positive things. So the unknowable haunts us. And the uncontrollable, the uncontrollable threatens us. In fact, that's what stress is made of. When, when we get to the place where, where, where we don't feel in control anymore, and when we don't feel in control, we feel vulnerable. We can't protect ourselves anymore. The uncontrollables, uh, th th they threaten us. They threaten our safety, our well-being, our security. And then there's the unpredictables in life, and they're the things that perplex us. As 2020 has been so far, pretty unpredictable and some of the tragedies that are hitting our world. And these three things, the things we can't know, the things we can't control, the things we can't predict, I mean, let's not live in denial about this. Our lives right now are full of unknowables, uncontrollables, and unpredictables. No wonder it's very easy to feel fearful. And this is exactly... This is exactly what was going on in these disciples' lives this Sunday night when suddenly 
your life has been altered. Your hero, your lord, you thought, your, your master was crucified and executed right in front of you. And now you're running for your life. It's been a couple of days since that happened. And, and who knows what the next, nobody knows what's coming next. It's, it's impossible to predict what, what the best decision is right now to make. And uh, everything in their lives was out of control. So they did the only thing they knew to do. Lock the doors and hunker down in fear. And this is where John finds them. He says, with the doors locked, for fear of the Jewish leaders, they were hunkered down. But then, Jesus steps in with resurrection peace. This is what we're celebrating this morning. That fear isn't the end of the story for our lives. And there's going to be more than just coping with fear. But Jesus' resurrection life has a way of stepping in to our fears with resurrection peace. Because the door is locked. Nobody's moved the bars away. Nobody heard a knock. Nobody opened the door at the risk of what could happen to them. They were hunkered down. The doors were still locked. And all of a sudden, can you imagine that moment? All of a sudden, Jesus is there, standing right in the middle of them in his resurrection power. And he says to them, his first word to them was the very thing they were not feeling, peace. He just shatters the moment with the most unlikely thing. He said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And this is, this is the first of two times that Jesus will use the word peace. In fact, the first of two times that Jesus will say, peace be with you. I love this story. John mentions the word fear only once, but he mentions the word peace twice. And, and it's in this moment that after each time, after both times saying peace be with you, after each of those times, Jesus will physically do something that will tell us why we so desperately need the resurrection and why it's so incredibly important and why we're here worshiping him, that he's risen from the dead. And the first is going to be that he, Jesus is going to say to his disciples, look, the fact that I'm here, my resurrection proves that you can have Peace with God, first of all. Now, peace with God is what it's all about, right? I mean, many of us resort to coping skills to deal with our fear, and, and that all has a place. And I believe in thinking positively, and I believe in taking a deep breath once in a while and all of these things. But look at it this way. If you're out of alignment with your creator, you're not even, you're not even living like you were designed to live. And peace starts by being at peace with God and having everything there because then the pressure can be on him and not on you. There is something radically different and new about being at peace with God. And here's how Jesus illustrates that. He says in verse 19, picking it up again, peace be with you. This is the first, this is when he suddenly appears in the room. And after this, after he said this, Here's what he physically did. He showed them his hands and his side. 
He shows them his hands and his side. And what's amazing is that in his hands, they still see the nail prints. They still see wounds. And in his side, they see where the Romans had thrust a spear into his side. Now, if I, I don't know, if I was God, I'd probably, if you're going to raise a guy from the dead, let's take care of all the blemishes. Like if Jesus is going to raise me from the dead, I'm counting on the fact I'm going to be five inches taller. <laughs> and I'm going to have hair and my teeth aren't going to be crooked. I mean, I mean let, let's just do the full, full meal deal here if you're going to go all the effort of raising a guy from the dead. And yet here's Jesus in his resurrection form and you can still see the wounds. They could see where the nails pierced his hands, where the sword pierced his side. And suddenly you're going, ding. And suddenly you recall something that Isaiah remarkably prophesied 700 years earlier. Where he says, he was pierced. He was pierced. They were making this connection immediately in their heads as they looked at his hands and feet and side. Pierced. He was pierced, what? For our transgressions. You know, those signs, no trespassing. Like, don't go here. That's kind of what a transgression is. We trespass. We go places we're not supposed to go. We do things we're not supposed to do. Just read the Ten Commandments. I mean, idol worship and demonism and, and, and sexual immorality and lying and cheating and stealing and hating and killing and, and being greedy for what other people have and doing anything to get it. I want to tell you, all you have got to do is read through that short list and you know that we're guilty of having gone places we shouldn't have gone. We're guilty of transgressions. And these things have separated us from a holy God. But listen to what Isaiah said. He was pierced for our transgressions. That would have gone through the disciples' heads immediately. They would have known this by memory. And Jesus shows them his hands and feet in his resurrected form. The wounds are still there. He was saying, my, reckon, my resurrection proves that I did what needed to happen so that your transgressions could be forgiven. Because Isaiah went on to say, not only was he pierced for our transgressions, but he was crushed for our iniquities and the crushing reality of his hours torturously on the cross. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us what? Peace. The punishment that brought us peace. That, that meant I could be at peace with God and I could have a relationship with him and not dread him but be a happy camper, be forgiven, live with my creator. He, he, bore the punishment that made for my peace. And then that staggering proposition that by his wounds we are healed. No wonder his wounds didn't disappear in his resurrected body. It was to say in my resur resurrection I still bear the wounds because my resurrection proves that everything you need to have peace with God I accomplished at the cross. So after Jesus died and rose again the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, and he's writing the church in Rome. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Because, you know, what can you do? Because he did everything. He was punished for our peace. He, he was bruised for our iniquity. His wounds bring us healing. It, it, we're not the active agents in that at all. So what can you do except receive it like a gift through faith? And he says, since then, since we have been justified or just as if we had never sinned, just as if 
we held no more guilt in the sight of God, that we're literally, we're not fighting God anymore. We're at peace with God. We have peace with God. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God through Jesus. It made me think about some things that Patrick means observed about churches today. And may I just say, this is the Sunday where more of us are together than in our church family than any other Sunday of the year, and it's wonderful to have you here. But may we never be a church that departs from the core of what it means to have peace with God, because that's what becomes the reference point for negotiating every other issue and every other fear in our lives. And Patrick Means said there's a danger that churches like ours can drift from what Jesus did on the cross. He talks about shaming churches. And shaming churches exclude people from grace by reminding them that they have never done enough or been good enough. God help us. Or there's what he calls quick fix churches that exclude people who simply can't quote a few Bible verses and make their problems disappear. And there's the workaholic churches. Just sit on this one for a minute. It excludes people who can't or, or won't swap their addictions for busyness. I thank you the heart of being at peace with God is not being busier than you used to be. And then there's the unreal churches. These are the image churches that exclude people who can't look perfect and act as if they have no problems. God help us. I want to tell you, shame and quick fixes and activism and image will never give you peace with God. And we, may we never become a church like that. Instead, Here's how Paul says it in other words in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. It is by grace you have been saved. By something he did for us. That's what his wounds evidence. And the fact they'd be in his resurrected body tells us his resurrection guarantees that you, in spite of me, I can have a relationship with God. You, in spite of you, you can have a relationship with God. You can be at peace with God. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift. It's the gift of God. Not by works. Not by works so that no one can boast. That's why pastor and writer Tim Keller likes to say grace keeps us from swaggering and it keeps us from sniveling. You can't swagger because you don't deserve it anyway. And you can't snivel because it has nothing to do with what you don't deserve either. It just makes what you deserve or don't deserve irrelevant. He bore the wounds. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The punishment that made for my peace with him was upon Christ and the cross and by his wounds I am healed. I know of nothing greater than that. And if you don't have peace with God on this Resurrection Sunday morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of this service to give your life to Christ and to find that peace. Because first of all, the resurrection guarantees, it proves that we can have peace with God. And then Jesus says it again. He's going to say, peace be with you one more time and do something else 
to tell us that not only does the resurrection prove we can have peace with God, but the resurrection actually puts power behind our peace. And this is why our lives can change. So verse 21, Paul, uh, John continues to describe this night behind locked doors, resurrection Sunday night, Jesus appears there. And he says to them again, again, Jesus said, John writes, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. So he gives us his peace and he sets and he fills us with purpose and sets us on a mission. And then here's what he did. The first time after he said, peace be with you, he showed them his scars. This time, he breathed on them. Wow. He breathed on them and said, what I pray will happen in every one of our lives today. Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is his resurrection life. This time he doesn't show them scars, but this time he says, peace be with you, and then he breathes on them. Breath, the, the Greek and Hebrew words for spirit were breath, and it was always symbolic of something beyond just our coping skills with life. He actually breathes his resurrection life into us. Because resurrection peace, resurrection peace is more than just an attitude adjustment. Resurrection peace is more than just positive thinking. Resurrection peace is more than just hoping for the best or taking a deep breath. I mean, they all have their place, but I want to tell you, Jesus gives you more. His resurrection proves that you can, first of all, be right with God and have peace with him. What a life-changing proposition that is. And then he actually puts power behind that peace. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you, you saw a picture of me preaching on the other side of the world. I was actually preaching at a church in the heart of Addis Ababa last Sunday morning in Ethiopia. It's a great church. It's a church where the resurrection power of Jesus is flowing in dramatic ways. I probably preached to nearly 3,000 people that morning. Over a dozen came and gave their lives to Christ and found peace with God. And others were delivered from demonic spirits and healed. And it, it's an amazing, it's an amazing place because there's power behind this. Because Jesus rose from the dead, not only are our sins forgiven, we can be guaranteed of that, but there's power to change our lives. This was not a shaming church. This was not a quick fix church. This was not a be busier than you used to be church. This was not, this was not even an image-driven church. There was nothing of image or slickness here, but the power of the resurrected Christ was in this place. And between services, I was having coffee, and Sandy and I were having coffee in the back with the pastor, and here's the pastor. His name is Pastor Merga. He's a humble yet mighty man of God. Pastor Merga, we were sipping coffee and chatting, and we were curious about how, how he first found peace with God, how he first came to Christ. And he kind of smiled a little bit, like, you really want to hear this story. And it was very unusual. Always amazes me how Jesus starts getting our attention. He said, well, actually, I was living in this part of Ethiopia, and I, with, as with many people in our town, I was deeply involved in witchcraft. I was more involved in the occult and witchcraft 
than most people. He had a sensitivity to the spiritual realm. You know, there's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. But there are other demonic spirits that are against the Holy Spirit, that want you to go to hell, that want to destroy your life and dismantle your life piece by piece and fill your heart with fear. And that world of the occult and demonism and, and witchcraft is full of fear, not of peace. And he said, I was deeply involved in witchcraft. And strangely enough, he said, nobody actually shared the gospel with me, but I just happened to overhear two people arguing about Christianity. And something happened. And faith was birthed in my heart. And he said, soon I gave my life to Jesus. I just knew that he was the resurrection and the life. And God worked in my heart. I gave my life to Jesus. And he got right with God. He had peace, peace with God. And God's spirit began to fill him. And he said, the, the general pattern was in our town that when people left witchcraft, if they decide to renounce witchcraft and leave it, that they didn't survive more than two or three days. People always died. And three days went by. They told me I'd be dead in three days because I left the demon spirits. And he said, I was still alive after three days. After two weeks, he said, people were amazed I was still walking around. I was perfectly fine. I had the Holy Spirit. And in fact, he said, it was funny, strange. I wasn't even trying. He's only two weeks old in the Lord. And he said, strange thing. I'd be sitting in a taxi, sitting in a bus, and all of a sudden, demonic spirits and other people would start manifesting. They were reacting to the resurrection life of Jesus inside of me. And so he said, I decided to start ministering to people and praying for people. People started finding Jesus. I cast out demons. They do this every day in his church, every Sunday in his church too. And, 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 and cast out demons and, and the resurrection. He went on to start 41 churches. Now he's pastoring the largest Assemblies of God church in, in Ethiopia. And, and they're just positioned for a mighty move of God yet that they haven't even seen. And my God, my God, this... This is power. This is not positive thinking. God puts power behind our peace. He makes us right with him, and then he breathes on us and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Actually receive my resurrection life and watch what can happen. Because my resurrection life not only proves that you can be right with God, you can have peace with God, but my resurrection life puts power behind that peace. That's why the night before he was crucified, John, Jesus himself would say, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. This is not like the world gives us. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be, what? Afraid. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you, board, would you bow your heads with me, please? These last 20 minutes we've, just immersed ourselves in a moment on Resurrection Sunday night that we have to respond to. They were hunkered down for fear of their lives for good reason. But then Jesus stepped in and said, Peace. Peace to you. Peace because you can be right with God and peace because you can have the power of my Holy Spirit.